Welcome everyone. I'm Brenna Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at HousingWire with our latest installment of the HousingWire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources that they're covering. Once again, I'm stepping in for our Editor-in-Chief Sarah Wheeler as she is on PTO, but she will be back later this week. And today, my guest is HousingWire Senior Mortgage Reporter Georgia Cromerai to talk about some of the most recent HW Plus stories and HousingWire stories she's been covering. But before we dive in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, it's important you partner with a subservicer who is compliant. At TMS, they operate under a culture of compliance, one that follows all investor and regulatory guidelines 24-7-365. They not only put the customer first, they do what is right. It's a way of doing business that has earned special praise from Fannie Mae, Jenny Mae, and many state regulators. Partner with a subservicer who makes compliance a priority. Go to subservicing.themoneysource.com. Georgia, I'm excited to wrap up my time on the podcast by interviewing you. Welcome. Thank you, Brenna. Now, I have been watching and reading your coverage a lot lately. No shortage of news. It seems like this year or even last year coming out of the CFPB, the GSEs, the FHFA, FHA, you've been covering it all. Yeah, there's definitely always a lot of news on my beat. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to keep up with sometimes. I feel like I have to pick and choose because there are definitely more stories out there. Yeah. It's very true. We'll start with maybe the most recent and maybe the uh, most obvious as far as um, big news that has come out from the government-sponsored enterprises, which is their latest earnings report. You covered Fannie this week, and I think Freddie's was a little bit before that. They're already always pretty close together. What were some of the big highlights to start with? Maybe let's go with Fannie since they were more recent. Yeah, so Fannie Mae, yeah, the big news is that their net worth is uh, nearly $50 billion, $47 billion, um, which is an increase of $22 billion from 2020, so um, doing really well. Um, their net revenue is, uh, is, is up to $29.9 billion in 2021. Um, a lot of that was driven by, remember, so, so, uh, so a lot of that was driven by the, their guarantee fee income. And remember that, um, for half the year, a little bit more than half the year, um, they had that adverse market fee in place. So that was the 50 basis point fee on most, um, agencies. Um, at least until um, acting director Sandra Thompson um, got rid of it, so um, so 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 that has to has to account. But um, but yeah, it was it was a, a that's that's a big number. Forty seven billion is their is their net worth now. You know, and and their um, CEO Hugh Freighter, like I did notice, and I and I would say this is in both of the um, both of the GSEs. I did notice that there is an emphasis on affordability. They're they're um, definitely talking about it, um, and um, and so that's so that's interesting, both because of you know their their charters, but also um, because of the priorities of uh, of the current FHFA. And I know for those who aren't familiar, we we sometimes say you know Fannie is the larger of the two GSCs. So looking at its other half, Freddie, yeah. were there similar big numbers? I mean, looking at the industry as a whole record-setting volume a lot of last year. A lot of that feeds in through Fannie and Freddie, of course, and there's also Ginny and the other companies. But how did Freddie compare? 
Yeah, so um, so so smaller is, is right, but um, but nothing to sneeze at. Their net worth is now twenty eight billion, which is um, more than triple what it was before the pandemic. So um, that's pretty incredible. Two point seven billion in net income, which is a a, a bit of a decrease, but um, but that was that was they said that was because of an increase in credit related expenses. And yeah, big numbers overall. Freddie Mac. Um, um, acquired 1.2 trillion in single-family loans in 2021. Um, most of those were refinances, um, and 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 yeah. So I so I guess the common theme between both of them is that they're they're doing uh, doing pretty well. You touched on at least with Fannie Mae, but I know. I think going back in your coverage, affordability, a lot of their charges with what they're tasked and responsible for, affordability was a common theme in that. Can you dig a little bit more into you know, how maybe that came up in their earnings or maybe it didn't come up in their earnings or was that something you saw between the two of them or talk leading up to this event? Kind of broad question there. Yeah, so so definitely. So in Fannie Mae's, um, in, in Fannie Mae's annual report, um, they, uh, they, they did talk about affordability. Um, I noticed that in, um, both in the remarks from their CEO where, um, their CEO, Hugh Frater said that, um, while parts of the housing economy performed well in 2021, it wasn't for everyone, um, and kind of acknowledged that, you know, things are going really well in the housing market, but there is still, um, there are still people who are struggling and affordability is a really big problem. And so he went on to say that, that there is, um, much work to do to make sure that, um, the housing finance system serves, um, all people fairly and, Safe, sound, and properly properly capitalized. So, so that was a so 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 that was like a pretty clear to me. That's a pretty clear statement that affordability is really important here. Um, and um, and and it was also evident in the specifics of their report. So the FHFA has um, has given them new benchmarks for um, low and moderate income. New benchmarks for um, minority census tracts; those are those are totally new. They didn't they they did not exist um, in years prior. Um, and FHFA also um, suspended some parts of the scorecard. So the scorecard is what um, the scorecard is what FHFA uses each year to sort of communicate its priorities to the GSEs, communicate um, its you know, it's, it's vision for the, um, for the coming year. And so, you know, what priorities it sets, what, what buckets it, it places on the scorecard is really an indication of what the, um, what FHFA thinks the priorities should be. And, um, and, and during the course of 2021, FHFA got rid of, um, parts of the previous scorecard, just really saying like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna focus on, on that anymore. Um, and, um, and the parts it got rid of had to do with um, making a roadmap toward the end of conservatorship, um, carrying out housing market reform, um, efficient utilization of capital. So these are all all um, things that would have been the um, the priorities of the um, prior um, director of FHFA. You know, and, and concurrently with that, it seems like there is a greater emphasis on um, on affordability. Um, especially since okay, so the other the other part that um, that 
um, the other part of the scorecard that was eliminated was FHFA had directed Fannie Mae to halt efforts to reduce its risk and complexity, um, and um, and FHFA um, totally nixed that. So so it's just a it's it's a re, it's a rejiggering of priorities away from you know let's let's be conservative and and um, and recapitalize and 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 the conservatorship and figure out how to do that to okay let's figure out how to use these uh, entities that are um, incredibly well positioned to have a huge impact on the housing market. How can we use them to further policy goals? Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And, and Freddie and, and in Freddie Mac's um, report, I would, I would say, um, you know, they, they also highlighted um, a lot of actions that they have taken during the course of 2021 um, that, 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 that really um, emphasizes, you know, they are, they are um, also taking steps. Um, so one really substantive update was they had said near the end of the year, they, they had said that they were going to, um, encourage landlords to provide rental data so that, um, renters would get credit for making those positive rental payments, um, and, you know, be able to, um, then potentially qualify for a mortgage. The, you know, the argument is that most credit scoring models don't include rental payments. And um, so, you know, people who are especially first first time home buyers, especially that that entry level group, they don't get credit for the biggest um, monthly payment they make their housing payment, which is rent. Um, and so, you know, allowing uh, allowing some way for them to um, to to have to have that count toward um, toward their their credit report um, is is huge, and so um, and so they announced this initiative at the end of 2021. But we got a pretty substantive update on how it's going. Um, by the end of the year, um, 73,000 households um, had been offered the program, and um, 10,000 people were able to establish credit scores, and they improved their scores by an average of 43 points. So, um, so that's so 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 that's that's a pretty substantive update on on that affordability initiative. Now, throughout that update, you mentioned the FHFA, the Federal Housing Finance Agency. I did want to pause there on all of these initiatives, and you actually had news come out this morning around the leadership of the FHFA, along with the Fed, um, a couple of handful of nominations. Um, I'll let you first explain what's going on there, but also is that going to have any impact on everything that's going on? A lot of those directives for the GSEs are directed by the FHFA as current acting director Sandra Thompson oversees it. There's been a lot of conversations around, you know, the former director, Mark Calabria, into um, the now acting director into her nomination. So you just had some big news come out this morning as far as what's happening with the leadership, and then how does that impact everything you just talked about? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start in reverse. I think so. Whether it um, it has an impact, and I'll and I'll come back to um, to the other piece. I think that um, you know I so I I heard about this news. Yesterday, that there there were problems with um, um, the the nominations going forward, and you know I think it's it's really natural to think, oh no, like does this um, you know is this going to be really disruptive 
Um, and and it, it, it could be. I, I, I don't know. The, the sources I talk to don't have crystal balls, although I wish they did. Um, but um, but I, I think one thing to remember is that, um, especially for FHFA, which is which is um, you know perhaps the more immediate um, important piece for our readers. For FHFA, Acting Director Sandra Thompson is um, is already on the job. She's been there since June, and so it's not as if you know. For for example. Um, Julia Gordon, who was nominated to be FHA commissioner, she really has to wait to be confirmed by the Senate before she can even even start her job. And so, and so, it's a different situation, right? Of of course, you know, I think um, being confirmed by the Senate, um, um, you know, con- conveys some um, some permanence. Um, you know, and, and, um, and, and certainly, you know, while it is, while the, um, while the outcome is up in the air, it's, it's probably not good for the day-to-day running of any of these entities. Um, if, if there's kind of the notion that, um, that something could, um, you know, could, could spoil the nomination, um, and, and prevent them from being confirmed. But I do think, um, um, in the, for the, for the time being, while we kind of wait to see what happens, at least in the case of FHFA and also at the Federal Reserve for, um, for vice, vice chair, um, nominee, um, Lyle Brainerd, she's already at the, the Federal Reserve. Um, so whether this would, you know, um, impact something like um, like the CRA reform, which which he spearheaded. I I I don't um, I don't see that um, impacting the timeline, but but it it could. I'm I am not sure about that. I don't know. I think that's a I think that's a a good question, fair question, and um, you know ho- hopefully they're thinking through these questions in the Senate. But okay, so what happened is that. Um, there is a there there were a number of nominees that were going to be um voted on in the Senate Banking Committee yesterday they had a scheduled vote and um you know several of the nominees including um acting director Sandra Thompson um and and um and and I think um Fed chair uh, Powell and um and uh, perhaps others, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not as as familiar with, but, um, but, but they were expected to be, you know, fairly uncontroversial um, um, confirmations, and so it, you know, it was kind of, at least to me, it came as kind of a surprise that there that there was this um, that there that there was this move to block them, but it was because one of the nominees, Sarah Bloom Raskin. Um, who was nominated to be vice chairman for supervision of the Federal Reserve, which is an important position. Um, there were questions about um, her her business dealings with um, with a, a, um, a firm, a fintech firm in Colorado, where she was on the board. 
um, and um, and and shares that she had in, in the company were not um, were not reported until um, un, until later than they should have been. Um, so there so there were questions about her specifically, and what I heard from sources is that Republican Republican members of the Senate Banking Committee who had to be there, um, at least some of them had to be there in order to to have quorum um, and be able to have a vote, said. You know, look, we um, we have serious reservations about this candidate. You know, don't um, don't push all of the candidates through. Um, let's you know have a um, let's have an additional conversation about this um, one candidate. She needs to answer our questions. You know, she should be properly vetted. All of this, um, you know, all of this this process should should go forward. Like we have, you know, we we have questions about about her um, her connection to this firm and uh, whether or not she lobbied um, the Fed on behalf of it um, or the, the Kansas City Fed on behalf of it, and they hadn't been answered yet. And the committee leadership decided to go ahead with a scheduled vote. And so Republicans on the one side are saying, um, we didn't, we didn't stop the vote. You stopped the vote because, um, or Democrats stopped the vote, you know, because you wanted to go forward with all the, um, all the candidates at once and, and sort of, you know, you, you know, force us, force us to, um, to, to block all the others while, while the, um, the, you know, I think the argument from the Democrats is that, well, this is just a, a, a partisan, Partisan move to um, to to block a slate of a very diverse um, slate of candidates. Also, um, um, so so uh, fair housing advocates, um, you know, definitely definitely want these nominees to get confirmed, and um, called on the banking committee to immediately vote on them and. You know, let's 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 get going. And um, I think Lisa, Lisa Rice said um, from National Fair Housing Alliance, Lisa Rice said, now is not the time to play politics um, with the fiscal health of our country. And so, you know, putting putting something like the like the Fed chair, um, the renomination of the Fed chair on hold is a pretty I'd say that's a pretty bold move, especially right now. There is a lot for the Fed to to be working on. Um so, um, <laughs> so I'm not sure what the next step is uh, uh, for for this. Hopefully, there will be some sort of um, resolution. But, um, but you know, perhaps something will happen um, with um, with Sarah Bloom Raskin. I'm not I'm not sure if the the questions will um, be answered to the satisfaction of the Republican members, or if. Um, you know, I mean, there's always the nuclear option of 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 um, her nomination getting um, or her, you know, rescinding rescinding um, her um, her nomination. Yeah, <laughs> interesting, interesting there how that kind of came into play. Now, one thing, uh, at least for the housing space, and maybe true for any of these other positions that are still up for renomination or nomination, but what's unique, at least with the FHFA, is Sandra Thompson is currently the acting director of the FHFA. So how does that play a role in what she can cannot do? Since she's actively in that role, if you delay it, she's still overseeing the FHFA right now. So what would you know either becoming an official overseer do um or how does that maybe stall anything in the meantime knowing that at least right now she is sitting in that position yeah so right now she's in that position and there's actually a pretty recent precedent for 
um, an acting director um, who who stayed on for for many years as a, as an acting director. I think um, former acting director Ed DeMarco was was on for um, for four years, I believe, as an acting director. So certainly, if the question is can an acting director functionally do all of the things that a Senate confirmed director can do? Can they do, um, can they see through a rulemaking process from start to finish? Can they, um, you know, put forth a new scorecard and, um, and, and, and see, you know, how the, um, how the GSEs adhere to it? Can they do all that? Then I, then I think the, the, you know, the answer is yes, they can do all of those things. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure if there are, um, any, yeah, so I think substantive changes, um, I cannot think of any. And, and I have been asking, um, asking my sources, you know, does the fact that the, um, confirmation is up in the air, does that, um, you know, is that perhaps going to lead um, acting director Sandra Thompson to be a little bit more trepidatious with, um, with, with, you know, big policy moves in the next, um, in, in, in the next couple of months while they're waiting on, um, confirmation. I don't have any indication that that is the case from FHFA. Although, um, you know, I do, I, I do have sources who, who say, um, that they, you know, don't expect um, that they don't expect big policy moves while um, while that is up in the air. Um, so, so that may be that that may be the only thing is kind of, you know, functionally, structurally, an acting director at FHFA can do anything that a director can do. However, we're in this like weird period where there's a bit of a dance going on in the Senate, and and you know the mandate may. Be to just kind of hold steady until um, until that is resolved. There are, I mean, in in fairness, there are lots of things that Acting Director Sandra Thompson has um, has already done that are um, that are that are are pretty pretty interesting. You know, she she's been a um, very productive acting director. So just, you know, the, like the first six months of her tenure have been, um, (laughs) um, very newsy. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I, so I don't think she felt like she needed to, um, to hold back then. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, for example, um, after the new, um, after the announcement about um, new fees on um, on on investor homes, will there be other um, uh, will there be other adjustments on pricing um, that have to do with affordability, for example, at the GSEs? Will that happen? Um, you know, I, I I think I I think this is this is a this is a bit of a unique period, and so it will be interesting to see how FHFA um, decides to. Um, Spread that needle. And before we come to close, I did want to ask that same question to to the other big nominee on the table. You mentioned we do. There's uh, no shortage of people right now looking at the Fed, especially as everyone's staring at mortgage interest rates and how the bond market is doing. And the other big name on that table is the renomination of Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. Um, so, kind of wanted to ask the same question that I just did with you know Sandra Thompson. As the renomination of the Fed Chair Jerome Powell, does that 
create any, is he able to do anything? How does the Fed move on as everyone's kind of watching them so tightly and closely? Right. Well, yeah, that that's a really important one. And I think that um that the the people who are critical of this move, this this um the move to block the nominees, I think I think they have a pretty compelling argument there that look the the Fed has a lot it needs to do right now. You know, they 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 can't they can't afford to have any um instability. So yeah, that's a it's 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 a fair question. It's um I am yeah, I I think that there will I I expect there to be some sort of um resolution. I don't know if the slate of nominees will um will look the same um when when um when kind of the the less um controversial nominees go through, but um but I I am sure that there will be some some sort of a um some sort of a conversation to move forward from this, although it, it seems to kind of go ahead. Yeah, I also think so. So you know, for me and for our coverage, for our readers, I I am more interested um, actually in um, in Governor Lyle Brainerd and her her nomination to be vice chair, and and she was one of the she was one of the nominees that was um, blocked by the um, by the boycott. I mean, I I think I I I I think that since she is already on um on on the um on the board, I don't think that this will mess at all with um, timing for um, Community Reinvestment Act reform. But certainly, it's a very um, important and complicated project. And um, you know, we heard earlier this week from OCC Comptroller. Um, Michael Sue, acting acting controller, that um, that uh, you know they were that 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 they were um, very very soon going to be um, making moves on that, and so it, that that's one of the agencies that is in, involved in CRA reform. So uh, these these agencies have a lot of work to do. And um, I can't imagine what it um, what it is like to kind of be in this uncertain moment, but I'm I'm sure it's somewhat of a distraction. But you know that is the um, that is that is the task of governance, I suppose. Um, so so it'll it, it'll it, it will be interesting to watch um, how it unfolds at the Fed. Um, I, I I'm sure there will there will be more news on this. So this is sort of like this happened yesterday, and and it's very much a to be continued. It's a it's a story in progress. So um, please stay tuned. That really feeds well into the question that I like to wrap with at the end of every podcast, which is what people should stay tuned for and what coverage they should look forward to from you either that the rest of this week, even though we're Wednesday, or maybe things looking forward to for the next week after that. Yeah, let's see. So, so I already talked about so the um what happens next with the nominees. That's a that's an important one. Um that's probably, you know, this week, next week. Um uh, but but zooming out a little bit more, I think um you know, in in the past in the past few months of coverage, one theme um that I've picked up on is Regu- regulatory agencies have this kind of this new um th- this new stance, this new um kind of this this new, um, almost a new attitude toward um, toward the industry, and I'm really interested in looking at, 
you know, how do their actions um, match up or um, or differ from their words? And um, and so I'm I'm working on a story about regulation around redlining, bank redlining. Um, and, and, um, what that all means. That's a very hot topic, um, for mortgage lenders. It's, it's not one that, um, that any lender wants to be, um, uh, involved with at all. But, um, but, but there, there have been a number of interesting, um, developments actually at the Federal Reserve in the last few months where, um, there have been, um, bank mergers. Which the Fed has to approve, and um, in the process of approving a bank merger, they receive public comment, and they've um, in in several cases now they've received comments that you know this this bank merger can't go forward because their um, their LMI lending is is um, not up to par, or they've been redlining, um, or you know, or 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 they don't they don't have um, branches and um, in uh, minority census tracts that that sort of thing, and it is interesting to see how the Fed navigates that, how the entities that are um, that are looking to merge or or acquire other banks navigate that. So that's so that's one one kind of topic um, that I'm um, that I am interested in right now. Another thing that I um, that I I am staying tuned for. I think everyone is is awaiting anxiously right now. Is the um, the forthcoming uh, report on appraisal bias from the HUD led task force? So that's supposed to drop in. I, I would say in the in in the next couple of weeks. There was a Secretary Fudge had a um, she she did a speech. Um, made a made a speech and did a Q and A, and it was this it was this long, interesting um, uh, conversation um, last week at a Harvard event, and she said that that um, the report would be out within um, a few weeks. And so I'm like, okay, the clock is ticking, three weeks. Okay, um, now it's you know week week one. Okay, so we have two more weeks. So <laughs> so look for so look for that um, in the next few weeks. I would say. So I might go back to then what I said at the very beginning of this podcast interview, which is there is no shortage of news that you're working on, Georgia. And that sounds like there's a lot to unpack there that I know um, you're staying closely tuned to. Your sources are helping you um, kind of give us the inside scoop on it. So just appreciate your time here today and just kind of unpacking all this news. Thanks, Brenna. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwire.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.